And welcome to the April 4th, 2022 meeting of the Alameda Open Government Commission. Uh, Madam Clerk, can you please take the roll? Yes, Commissioners Chen. Oh, Canberra, sorry, I'm out of political order right there. Try to start Here. again. <laughs> Chen. Present. Montgomery. Present. Tilos. Here. Lo Palato. Present. Five present. Thank you. And um, next on our agenda is the space for non-agenda public comment. Uh, Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers who would like to give public comment on matters not covered in this agenda? No one is raising their hand, so I do not believe we do have any. Okay, great. Well, next on our agenda would typically be complaint hearings, but we have none tonight. So we can move along to section four for our regular agenda items, beginning with item 4A. Recording um, in progress. Or to see if anyone has clarifying questions, feel free to shake your head no if you have none, um, or obviously come off mute to be heard. And uh, I think this will help us get our questions out first. So, um, do you have any clarifying questions for Madam Clerk, Commissioner Canberra? Nope. Okay. Vice Chair Chen? No. Commissioner Montgomery? And Commissioner Tilos? Okay, with no questions there, uh, Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers for public comment on item 4A? We do, we have one, Jay Garfinkel. All right, uh, there's a three minute time limit for speakers in this public comment section and uh, welcome Speaker Garfinkel. I'm not sure if it's unmuted or not. Is it unmuted? It is unmuted. We can okay. hear you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'll keep this very brief because what I was trying to do was speak to non-agenda items, but I wasn't led on to the platform until after the meeting was well in motion. Uh, if I can make those comments now, fine. Otherwise, I'll just give up. We have another space for non-agenda public comment at the end of the agenda. Madam Clerk, would that be the proper way to address this? Or, or you can, um, if you wanted to, after you do this uh, item, you could always go back to that first section if you'd like. Um, you can, you have the liberty to do something like that if you wish. Okay, uh, right. Mr. Gar well, Mr. Garfinkel, we may hear from you shortly, uh, but for now we'll take public comment on the minutes, item 4A, if anyone has that. Okay, looks like no public comment on item 4A. In which case uh, we can move forward with uh, deliberations or a motion. Um, commissioners, is there a motion on item 4A or any discussion? I'll make the uh, motion to accept the minutes as submitted. Second. All right, we have a motion and a second. Madam Clerk, could you take a roll call vote, please? Commissioner Canberra. Aye. Chen. Aye. Montgomery. Aye. He loves. Aye. Chair Lopalato. Aye. That carries by five eyes. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, so at this time, I think, uh, Madam Clerk, if, if you say it's appropriate, we will go ahead and uh, reopen non-agenda public comment before we move through the rest of uh, 
section four in the agenda. Thank you. <clears throat> um, you know, I've been following almost every meeting of the Open Government Commission for the past two plus years. And I first started watching because, and first got interested in what was going on in the city government because I saw the council doing so many silly things. And so I started paying attention and asked, why were they doing this? And what I realized, what much of what the council does is done in secret. It's not really made apparent to the, not made available to the public. But then I discovered the Open Government Commission. I thought, ah, here it is. Here's a way that the public can find out what's going on. Well, it turns out that up until now anyway, the vast majority of times, the uh, when there's a complaint, the uh, city's lawyers jump in and defend the uh, council actions tooth and nail. Doesn't matter what they did, they were doing it correctly. The council was correct. And what I saw was that the, for the most part, the members of the commission just went along with whatever the attorney said. What I'm asking you guys to do is to look at what's going on and find ways to make the actions more open. For the last several years, ever since uh, Commissioner Chen succeeded in her challenge, uh, the council has taken repeated actions to make the uh, process more obscure. I think it's time that the citizens get involved like they were back in 2013 or 2011, whenever it was, when the Open Government Commission was created, I think it's time to have another public uh, committee open to the public and find out what the citizens would like to see the Open Government Commission doing. Because right now, for the most part, in my opinion, you're simply going along with whatever the attorney tells you to do. And I mean that respectfully. I really think that we can make things, things better. But every time I bring this up, there's been no uh, apparent interest in making this committee an actual open government commission. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Garfinkel. Um, and Madam Clerk, can we have the, the time limit notification up during public comment? Is that an option? I didn't see it up on the screen that time, but we can address it in later items. Yes, I'm so sorry. There was, you're exactly right that I did miss that and we will get it up right now in the other box that I didn't notice wasn't there. All good, all good. Um, so we can move forward into item 4B, uh, training for commissioners on the hearing process, conflicts of interest and recusals. And uh, just to orient everyone before we get started for this item, it uh, looks like our chief assistant city attorney will give a training presentation then we'll ask commissioners for any clarifying questions then Madam Clerk will advise us if there's any speakers for public comment, and then we can engage in any discuss discussion around the training, um, but there's no action to be taken here, so there's no need for a uh, motion or a vote. And uh, with that, Chief Assistant City Attorney McKenzie, would you like to begin? Sure. Um, can all of you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Um, well, as the agenda indicated, we're going to, or I'm going to be talking about three different items, and um, I picked these three topics to begin with uh, because they, in my view, have generated the most questions over uh, my tenure um, uh, as the um, advising attorney for, for the commission. Um, I am, I'll just say this, that if there are other topics that um, are of interest to you 
any of you, feel free to reach out. We can always uh, um, arrange another training session um, at a later time um, uh, as, as, we have, as we have an opportunity. Um, so first I'm gonna talk about uh, the hearing procedures for complaints. Um, then I'm gonna, going to talk about conflicts of interest and then a very related topic, recusals. Um, and starting off with hearing procedures for complaints under the Sunshine Act. And I, I will um, um, tell you that hopefully a lot of this is um, a reminder for all of you um, after our October 4th meeting when we uh, passed, uh, or you all passed, uh, voted on and approved the um, revised hearing procedures. Um, so I'm looking at the timer, so I'm going to pace myself accordingly. Um, so let's just, I'm going to, to touch on some of the updates or the um, changes um, that the new hearing procedures brought to you. One of those is, of course, um, the designation of a, quote, commission attorney, which is, that is the role that I'm serving in currently and um, uh, designates the uh, jobs or the role of a commission attorney, which is to, of course, advise all of you in a complaint situation as to what the standards of law um, that are applicable, um, explaining if necessary, in my view, any of the uh, legal citations provided by either side, the city or the complainant. Uh, it sets out a briefing schedule. And that of course has a goal of bringing to light all arguments on both sides prior to your hearing so that all of you have a good opportunity to absorb the materials that are presented to you along with uh, the memo memorandum that uh, I as a commission attorney may be providing to you ahead of time. Um, and for those of you who are attorneys or who have had experience in the legal system, um, the briefing schedule is, is uh, mirrors in, in great deal um, the process that you have in court. When you have a request that's made to a judge called a motion, um, typically, um, one side brings, uh, marshals all of their arguments in a, um, in a brief, then the other side gets to respond, and then the two sides uh, come to a hearing in front of a judge. So in that, in that respect, it's somewhat similar. And, and of course, the idea is to provide um, an opportunity for everybody, like I said, to on both sides, both the city and the complainant, to bring all of the arguments um, to, to bear upon um, uh, for you to, to consider at the hearing. Um, the new procedures, of course, also reorganize the relevant documents in the agenda packet. I know that there had been complaints in years past that um, the way in which the documents had been presented and organized and, and designated in the agenda packets tended to suggest that um, the commission's finding in favor of the city was a foregone conclusion. So. Um, I think the commission took a great, you, you all took a, um, a lot of time to consider how to um, uh, redesignate the various items in your agenda packets for hearings um, so that it's clear that there are two sides to a hearing and that there are um, all of the, they're, they are equal as far as uh, the chance that the two sides have to consider the um or to present their arguments. And of course, there's also this placing time limits on the party's presentations, um, such as you do during meetings. Um, so those are some of the main differences or, or uh, refinements that you have all uh, made uh, for complaint hearings. After you have heard the materials that have been presented, you all of course have um, a chance to make a finding. 
And the outcomes, of course, we've talked about this, but I'm just gonna go over them once again. Um, you could make a, a finding that uh, there is a procedural or jurisdictional issue that prohibits you from um, reaching the merits of the case. So the classic example would be somebody waited too long under the Sunshine Ordinance to file a complaint. So in that case, if there's uh, an issue that comes to you uh, and there's a, a challenge by um, the city in, the, in that case saying, well, you need to look at the event and then take that and, uh, event and take the number of days and uh, make the argument that the complaint is filed too late, that may be uh, the commission's finding. In that case, um, you, you may not get to the merits of the complaint because you've, you've, if you've concluded that, there, uh, that the complainant didn't follow the appropriate rules, the designated rules, then you, don't, you may not get to the substance of the complaint. Um, jurisdictional is, is um, I think we've talked about this, but again, that's, that's, that's the concept of um, you all as the commission have a certain um, universe of, of issues that you deal with, primarily centered on the Sunshine Ordinance. So where does someone to bring a complaint that had nothing to do with the Sunshine Ordinance um, that you would not have jurisdiction, you would not have authority um, to make a decision on that. Um, then of course, if, once you do get to the substance, assuming you do, you have the uh, possibility of finding uh, either denying it or rejecting um, the Sunshine Ordinance and the procedures uh, use interchangeable language, denying, rejecting, no violation, but that all means the same thing, that you conclude by majority vote that the complainant um, did not, the facts did not um, lend themselves to finding there was a violation of the Sunshine Ordinance. And then of course, the um, one that we've talked about before, which is this notion of um, uh, rejected, denied, no violation, plus finding that it's unfounded. <clears throat> now, of course, I think that there has been discussion on this in the past, but the, the term unfounded is not defined in the Sunshine Ordinance. And so um, in the past couple of um, complaint hearings in which I as the commission attorney was, um, was bringing to you as commissioners a, a legal memorandum, I gave you some advice about factors that you could use in determining whether or not something is unfounded. So that, uh, but just to re remind you that the Sunshine Ordinance at this time does not have a definition of unfounded. And then of course, the remaining two options that you could find are um, that you find it sustained, you affirm it, you find there was a violation. Those are all terms that are used either in the procedures or the Sunshine Ordinance. Um, and then a companion finding, which is that it's affirmed with a cure and correct re um, recommendation. And that means that you make you you conclude that there was a violation, and you also agree and vote on non-binding non recommendations as to how to cure or correct the violation. So that's the the um, um, my discussion about the um, hearing procedures. Another big topic, of course, is um, conflicts of interest. Now there are two types of conflicts of interest, and one of them is statutory, meaning it's written down in law. It's written down in a code. And there are two prim primary locations that you would find that in California, um, section 1090 of the government code or the political reform act. Um, those are the more classic uh, types of conflicts of interest that 
um, you see more often, frankly, at city council meetings, because those primarily deal with more objective standards, such as um, a council member or a planning commissioner living with us within a certain distance from the site of a project, or um, a legislative member, be it a city council member, a planning commissioner, having some sort of financial interest in a particular project. So that's a little more cut and dry because it can be def it's defined in code and it's also um, tends to be more objective, easier to understand or easier to 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 identify. The other broader sense uh, category of conflicts of interest are ones that uh, that are going to pop up more for your purposes, and those are called common law. And common law means that they are defined by appellate court opinions. And they often do not, in fact, rarely do involve financial ties. And they are um, often subjective. They're evaluated on, an, on a case-by-case -case basis using the analysis that we pull out of appellate court opinions. Um, and I'm just going to, to, to veer off very briefly just to, to just because I've gotten questions about it before, about what are appellate court opinions and why do um, why do some of our complainants sometimes cite them in, in cases? And it's important not only in your complaint um, hearings. I'm just going to wait because I see the timer ticking down. Yes. So if the commission wants to take a vote to uh, extend the time, you can do that now. Uh, Madam Clerk, a quick question. My understanding from our bylaws is that trainings actually aren't subject to the time. Oh, limits, but I my don't know goodness. My apologies. I know. I then we don't need to have a vote. Thank you for pointing that out. I <laughs> say we could it. go either way, but, but there this will be one more time. Meeting, I can't put the timer up. I got all kinds of problems. Thank you. <laughs> well, be careful what you wish for. I don't know if you ever want to tell a lawyer they can talk as long as they want to. But um, anyway, so getting back to what appellate court opinions are. And, and briefly, they are written explanations of how an appellate court decided a case. And um, these types of opinions or decisions are issued by state appellate courts and the California Supreme Court. And they're also uh, issued by um, uh, federal courts, but for our purposes, we mainly deal with the state court system. And just as a point of clarification, the state of California is divided into six districts and the superior courts from each county are assigned to one of those six districts, six districts. And so if a party to a lawsuit filed in a superior court disagrees with the outcome of a trial, that party can file an appeal in their assigned appellate district. And the appellate court from that district will make a ruling on the appeal and issue a written decision. And now it's important to note that only some of those written decisions are quote certified for publication and only those certified for publication are the ones that can be cited for precedent. And decisions by an appellate court, the, the uh, appeals court can also be appealed to the California Supreme Court, but I think the, the, the fraction is somewhere around 5% or less of cases, appellate cases that the California Supreme Court accepts. So the majority of the cases that um, help us help us as lawyers to identify issues come from one of these six um, districts, the, the appellate courts. And so in order to, to find guidance for issues such as what a common law conflict of interest is, we pull, we as attorneys pull out um, analysis 
from cases that have similar factual patterns to ours. And so that is why, as you may be able to see, it's harder for um, uh, somebody to define very quickly um, and, and um, precisely exactly what a common law conflict of interest is because it's defined on a case-by-case -case basis, pulling out, um, um, like I said, guidance or, or rationales from past appellate cases that have been certified for publication. So in deciding whether or not a commissioner has a conflict of interest, it's important to recall that when the commissioner will be acting in a semi or excuse me, quasi judicial capacity, such as deciding a sunshine ordinance complaint, that the parties have a right to a fair and unbiased decision maker. So that's, that's, that is the goal that we're going for. So um, when you are deciding whether or not you think you may have a conflict of interest or are talking to me or somebody in my office who's advising the commission as to whether or not a conflict of interest, that's always our, our North Star, so to speak, is we want to make sure that both sides have, um, this, have this fair and unbiased decision maker. And a commissioner can also have a conflict on non-hearing items, but there's going to be additional scrutiny when the commissioner would be serving in a quasi-judicial role like they are when they're deciding a complaint. So that is to say that there may be instances in which you have action items that, uh, or, or discussion items in which you have, you may have a conflict of interest, but the scrutiny is really heightened when um, you're going to be actually making a decision, which in this case would be making a decision on a Sunshine Ordinance complaint. So um, if some examples of um, uh, types of, of situations that could result in a conflict of interest um, would be these these come from case law so again these are not uh, it's not black and white it's not that this was um, these are the only types of situations in which a, a common law conflict of interest can arise but these are cases in which uh, or these are situations in which um, a, a lower body such as at a local level has had a, a conflict of interest challenged, and then the decision went up to the Supreme, uh, excuse me, this, the county superior court and then up to the, superior, uh, the appellate court. So a couple of examples from um, cases that are, um, again, these are in um, case uh, decisions that have been certified for publication, meaning we can rely on them. An example is when a city council member in a city voted on a development project that would block that member's view from his home. So that was determined by an appellate uh, court to say, well, there wasn't, it's not a statutory uh, conflict of interest because it must have not been within the certain number of feet, but they concluded they being the appellate court, which sits in a, a panel, concluded that that was that, that um, denied the, in that case, the uh, applicant, the right to a fair and impartial hearing, that they had somebody who was uh, making a decision that was going to affect them personally, not financially necessarily, um, but was going to affect them personally. And another example is um, from another case is a planning commissioner authored an article in a newsletter criticizing a project that then was, that then was voted on by the planning commission and the planning commissioner at, at issue sat in on that hearing. And again, that 
um, although they didn't have a stake in it, such as a blocked view, um, again, that that denied the the rationale was that it denied the applicant a fair and impartial hearing because clear, clearly, the commissioner, the planning commissioner in that case, came into the matter, came into the hearing having a preconceived idea based on facts that were outside of the materials that were presented to the entire commission. Um, because one of the hallmarks of a um, a court case, as well as uh, the, the complaints that you hear, is that the commissioners are supposed to receive information altogether and be really restricted to the materials that are presented to you. So if one commissioner has information received outside of the hearing um, that nobody else has, that is that casts a taint on the, the hearing. Um, and especially if it turns out that um, that material that that commission, commissioner has is so um, um, vital to their decision-making process, there's no way that they can come in and make a decision um, based on a, a, a open mind. Now we've been talking, or I've been talking about, you know, actual actual bias. I, I've been sort of indicating that, you know, a commissioner may actually have a bias, may actually not be able to keep an open mind. But that is not uh, necessarily always going to be what is used to determine if there's a conflict of interest, because um, it, you don't actually, in order to have a, a conflict of interest, you don't need to actually show that the commissioner in question is, is actually biased. Um, and that's important because, again, we get back to this idea that the applicant and, well, I'm sorry, the uh, complainant and the city on both sides should have uh, a, an impression of a fair and impartial um, hearing, uh, slate of hearing officers in your case. And um, the term that's used by uh, many courts is you evaluate the circumstances to see if there's an unacceptable probability of actual bias. And it's important that it's a, a probability. It's not saying that you are definitely biased. And I bring this up just because having had discussions in the past with individual commissioners. Um, I know that it's, um, it, it, it can be a, an awkward subject because I'm, um, if I'm indicating there's a conflict of interest, I'm not necessarily saying that you yourself um, are biased, um, but there may be the circumstances as presented may present themselves that there's just an unacceptable probability of actual bias. And there's no way of getting in um, your head. And uh, so it's, it's, you look at the circumstances, you evaluate all of these issues, and you make a call. Uh, and when I say you, I mean, I, I make a call if I'm the one advising you. Um, and then that, that's where we're going to jump into the third and last topic, which is, of course, recusal. Um, so if I, after evaluating um, the circumstances, evaluating what you've told me, the this, uh, issues presented in a specific complaint, if I determine that I think that you have a conflict of interest, and again, just to make it clear, it's not that I'm saying you're actually biased, but basically weighing all of the circumstances in, um, at play, I may, be, I may conclude that from the outside, it looks like there's an quote, unacceptable uh, probability of actual bias and that a reasonable um, a, a complainant may think that they're not getting a fair hearing. If I make that recommendation that they recuse, them, recuse yourself, 
you, it is still within your purview to decide I'm, you know, you may say, I don't have, I don't believe I have a conflict of interest. I, I disagree with your assessment. Um, you know, I've, I've listened to you, but I, I, I disagree. And I want to sit um, as a, on the commission to, to make a decision on this complaint. In that case, um, oftentimes the city attorney's office, which in this case would be me, um, would, would choose to inform the entire OGC about my, rash, my belief that there is a conflict of interest. And if I did that, it would not be because I'm, you know, um, a sore loser and I um, am way too irritated about the fact that you're, you're not, not coming around to my way of thinking. It's really about the fact that as a commission, as a whole, you all as a, a group, as a body, Want, have an interest, of course, in making sure that your decisions are um, upheld and are are legitimate. And if for some reason you have one of your members, um, if it's concluded later on, if your if, if the conflict of interest became an issue in a in a court case, that could invalidate the your entire process. Um, so that's that's a very real. Um, 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 outgrowth of proceeding in a case with one of the uh, commissioner or commissioners who have a, a, a conflict of interest. And in addition to that, that risk of having your, um, your decision found, to, or found to be invalid, it, it, you know, I think it also runs a risk of delegitimizing um, the OGC in the face of the public. That's not a legal reason per se, but it is something I think all of you would have an interest, especially given the, the mission of your commission to make sure that um, people coming to you, um, bringing complaints that they are getting a transparent and open process. And that includes uh, impartial decision makers. So, um, um, so recusals are, um, re recommendations for recusals are not meant to be punitive. It's just trying to protect the legitimacy of the entire process. So that is what I have prepared tonight. And again, happy to answer questions in the um, appropriate um, order. And also, uh, like I said at the beginning, to the extent there are other uh, issues that you would like to be presented, um, I'd be happy to do that. In my view, and this may just be my, um, the way I work is it is easier to get information in smaller snippets rather than have somebody talk at you for an hour and a half. So I am happy to do this again on other topics, um, but those are the three topics that I thought we could focus on tonight. Thank you so much, Chief Assistant City Attorney. Um, yeah, well, I think uh, excellent snippet. And um, I see that uh, since we're in our space for clarifying questions here after the presentation, I see Vice Chair Chen already has a hand up. Do you wanna go ahead, Vice Chair Chen? Sure, thank you. Uh, so your presentation on conflict of interest and recusal only pertains to us, the, the commissioners, as we act. It doesn't pertain necessarily to uh, the city council or, or any other board of commission in terms of anything within our wheelbase <laughs> under the Sunshine Ordinance. Um, well, Yes, yes and no. I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, only giving this guidance to all of you, but it's a public meeting. Anyone could be watching. And the, uh, the 
ideas expressed do would apply to basically any legislative body in California. So um, it, it, it would apply, but I'm at this point just giving guidance to the five of you, not to the city council. But I, I since I'm maybe not answering your question, Vice Chair Chen, is there some? Well, I I didn't see it in the Sunshine Ordinance that that the that uh, citizens can bring complaints to the OGC where they see a conflict of interest in another body. Oh, I see what you mean. Um, well, no, I, I don't think your your uh, your your jurisdiction, you as the commission, your jurisdiction does not, um, you know, to my review, I don't think it encapsulates, like you say, it doesn't. Um, a Sunshine Ordinance complaint would, you're right, would not apply to or would not cover um, a citizen bringing a complaint about a conflict of interest, no. Only ours. Um, no, I don't think that that your, the conflicts of interest that have come up and what this is geared toward is if there is a complaint brought that's going to be heard by the five of you and because of your individual circumstances and knowledge and life experiences, you have certain knowledge or certain circumstances that lend themselves to make me conclude that you yourself have a conflict of interest and should not hear um, the, the complaint in question. So the hearing itself would not be about the conflict of interest. The conflict of interest would come about because um, I've con I conclude in for whatever reason, um, based on the circumstances that you should recuse yourself because you have a conflict of interest. Okay, thank you. Do you have any other questions, Vice Chair Chen, before we move on? Not right now, because I think some of the frustration I have just as a regular resident of Alameda. <laughs> <laughs> well, we might have a moment for that during deliberation. Uh, <laughs> right, right, they seem <laughs> recusals, right? And just wondering, is there any recourse? You know, I'm uh, channeling, you know, some of our speakers about. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Well, let's let's kick it over to Commissioner Canberra, who I see has a hand raised on clarifying questions. And Vice Chair Chen, if you want okay. to form that into a clarifying question for Chief Assistant Attorney, I will certainly kick it back to you. Commissioner Canberra, go ahead. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, um, I'd like if you could talk about the, I think I'm gonna use the term of our ethical wall between your legal services that you provide to the Open Government Commission and your employer. Yes, so I think, make sure I'm unmuted. So just to clarify, uh, uh, Commissioner Canberra, I think what you're talking about is when there is a complaint filed and it's against a certain department and somebody from our office um, needs to, or some, an attorney, I'll say this, needs to be assigned to defend the city in that particular department. You're asking how I am kept separate, me as a um, uh, commission, uh, make sure I use the right term, commission attorney um, is kept separate from that advocate. Is that what you're asking? That is correct, yes. Okay, so uh, in a couple of different ways. One is that um, the assignment of, of um, 
of who, which attorney is going to handle, uh, play the role as advocate. When I say that, just to, I'm trying to keep us separate so I stop using the term attorney. The advocate in that case would be the, the, the attorney who is representing the city, defending the city um, on that particular complaint. So the uh, assignment of the advocate is generally done by someone who is not me. Um, and depending on the circumstances, um, sometimes our city attorney would choose to assign it to somebody within our office. And I think that's probably more of what you're talking about, the ethical wall, but also um, sometimes you've seen uh, that, that that role is sometimes assigned to outside counsel. Um, so as far as the outside counsel goes, um, those are people who, you know, I don't even see. So I get, I don't talk to them um, about this or really any other case. And um, I get their submissions in due course from, from uh, Madam City Clerk when she receives their, their um, uh, briefing or their, their arguments. Um, when it's somebody in our office, uh, we, we do provide or we do, um, um, you know, keep a, uh, the ethical wall that you're talking about, which is we don't talk about um, the case, um, pending case. Um, I don't, uh, in my role as chief assistant city attorney, I generally um, try to serve as a resource and um, advisor for some of the other attorneys in our office. But I cease that role um, when it comes to uh, when an attorney is assigned to a um, um, to defend the city on a sunshine ordinance complaint, in which case that attorney, um, to the extent that he or she has any questions or wants to bounce ideas off of someone, they, they seek another attorney in our office, most likely the city attorney himself. Great. And just if I may, two more quick ones. I don't see any hands up. Um, right now, the OGC does not have the authority or any mechanism to deal with a commissioner that refuses to uh, recuse themselves from a hearing. Correct. Okay. And then the last point is actually just an asterisk to the comment that you made is that even if that non-recusing commissioners vote had no impact on the outcome of the actual case or the subject they were voting on and it went to court, the entire decision would still be invalidated? Um, I believe, I believe it, it would depend on the type of case, but I believe it would be invalidated. And I also want to clarify my response to your prior question, which is that you asked if the Sunshine Ordinance has any embedded mechanism for um, dealing with a um, recalcitrant commissioner who does not want to recuse him or herself, um, I should amend that or should note that um, it would be plausible, in my opinion, that um, the commissioners could engage in in a discussion and then a vote on um, uh, whether or not to to um, force a recusal. That's just, it's not a process that's outlined in the Sunshine Ordinance. Mm -hmm. um, but that, I think that's plausible. I don't, I don't know. Uh, certainly not anything that's embedded within the actual ordinance. Great. Thank you. Appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, um, Commissioner Canberra, for those questions. Uh, I will just go around quickly. Commissioner Tulis, do you have any clarifying questions for the Chief Assistant City Attorney? And Commissioner Montgomery, do you have any clarifying questions for Chief Assistant City Attorney? 
Vice Chair Chen, did you want to ask any other clarifying questions or did you want to um, wait for deliberations? No, it's out of our wheelbase, my questions. <laughs> and I, I can attest the Chief Assistant City Attorney is, is often available and responsive to, uh, to other questions as they may come up. Um, well, I think at this point then, Madam Clerk, should we see if we have any public comment on the training? Do we have any speakers who would like to give public comment on the training in item 4B? We do, we have one, Jay Garfinkel. All right, and we have a three minute time limit on this. Yeah, these. you can't get Welcome rid of me that easily. I wanna follow up on Vice Chair Chen's uh, question. Um, what do we do if, if you're not, if the OGC cannot address conflicts of interest uh, demonstrated by the council, how do we proceed? And I asked that from a very real situation where we had a member of the council had previously been on the board of directors of, a, of an organization that then came to the council for a project. And he not only refused to recuse himself, he actually uh, lobbied quite strenuously in their favor. Now, if a complaint were to be filed with you, the OGC, uh, I believe that our city attorney is saying that you would not have jurisdiction. So what is the public to do in that situation? Uh, do we go directly to the district attorney and file a complaint? Um, how, does, how do the citizens um, protect themselves from this kind of uh, conflict of interest, perceived conflict of interest? That's my question here. Uh, thank you, Speaker Garfinkel. Since this is a section for public comment and not really a, a Q&A for our presenters, um, my inclination would be that if the topic comes up during deliberations, perhaps that gets uh, discussed, but, but more likely that's, I'm sure, a, a question that can be brought uh, directly by you if you choose to do so outside of the context of this meeting. Um, at this point, uh, we can turn to our commissioner discussion. Um, and as a reminder, there's no vote or action to be taken here. Um, does anyone have any comments they wanna share on the training or deliberations amongst ourselves on these topics? I see Commissioner Canberra. Yeah, I just wanna say this was really beneficial and I would like to see it incorporated into all of the onboarding procedures that any new commissioner um, is going to receive prior to sitting in that hot seat. Uh, commissioner Camber, I'll go ahead and echo that. That was my only comment as well, just to thank the chief assistant city attorney for putting this training together um, and to the council and the city attorney's office for, for hearing our requests for uh, more thorough training and onboarding um, given the unique nature of this particular commission. And um, similarly, kind of in the spirit of ensuring the new round of incoming commissioners uh, gets the benefit of this training, I wonder, Madam Clerk, if, if it's possible to maybe hyperlink this agenda item, uh, the video for it in onboarding materials as, as people come on. Is that an option? Definitely. Okay. Can do it. Great. Great. Well, thank you, everyone. Um, and it looks like, oh, Vice Chair Chen, did you have a comment? I just wanted to make a comment and observation that I, I was reading an article in the San Francisco paper about, um, about a Brown Act decision uh, making the San Francisco school board's decision, uh, a decision null and void. And of course, I just love that term null and void. <laughs> but my, my question is, is 
the null and void piece usually something within the only the purview of the superior court since it was taken away from our uh, open government commission was was that a question for me vice chair yes. yeah it is oh, okay it so is. yes um yes i mean the the private right of action um is you know still exists so that is always a, a vehicle that someone can use and i i um i believe that that uh, the case that you're talking about, was that the one that had to do with the renaming of the schools in San Francisco? It had to do with Lowell High School. Lowell, okay. It was one of the two. I guessed wrong, but yeah. Um, uh, I know what you're talking about, but yes, uh, at this point, the private right of action would be Superior Court um, pursuing it, the matter in Superior Court would be the, the, um, the other mechanism, since you're right, the null and void option is no longer in the Sunshine Ordinance. So kind of uh, dovetailing on uh, one of the, the last comment we heard, uh, I think that it, for, for issues where people feel that a decision was made incorrectly because of a conflict of interest, it seems like private action is the solution in most cases where you just sue over the decision that was made by whatever council based on a, that you believe is a conflict of interest. Is that a suable thing? Um, yes, in this, in this, that would be the option of, uh, you know, if somebody, if somebody believes that a decision was wrongly made, that may be one of the grounds that they, they use and when they pursue it in court. So, um, I'm, I'm being deliberately a bit vague because I, I don't want to say definitively that is definitely a cause of action found in blankety blank code because I'm not certain of that. But um, definitely pursuing a private right of action would be um, and one of the bases that one may allege is that um, that the legislative body that's involved, um, that there was a conflict of interest that um, made it impermissible, but it's, it's, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair Chen. Um, one, one thought that just jogged for me is I wonder if, you know, we would certainly have the opportunity when we have hearings, if we find an item to be, you know, dismissed on sort of procedural grounds for being outside our jurisdiction, um, you know, potentially we can connect with the chief assistant city attorney in advance and, be able to identify what, what path would this type of complaint take if it's not um, appropriate for us. That's something that, you know, perhaps commissioners consider doing in a specific instance. Um, and does anybody else have any items to raise or deliberations for this, this agenda item? Okay. Well, with that, thank you very much, Chief Assistant City Attorney, uh, for the, the thorough snippet. Um, it's a perfectly sized amount of information in, in my opinion. And uh, we can uh, move right along then to item 4C, uh, which is titled Discuss Statutory Regulations Controlling the Hearing Process and Opportunities to Encourage Parties to Confer and Attempt to Resolve Issues Prior to the Hearing. Um, and this was an item which was moved into the regular agenda items following a vote by the commission to discuss Commissioner Cambra's commissioner initiated agenda item. Um, 
the request for that in our February 2022 meeting. So uh, with that, Commissioner Camber, would you like to present to us on this issue? You would have 10 minutes for the opening presentation here. Okay, thank you very much. So this actually was kind of an extension of the uh, year-end report uh, that um, former Commissioner Shabazz and Commissioner Chen put together. And there was a request to see how we might be able to extend time in, I think, the limited situation of California Public Records Act request to give people extra time to work with primarily the city attorney's office to maybe narrow down the scope, get documents, especially if they were broader um, extensive. So I did a little bit of research and I want to make sure that the conversation that we are discussing tonight would, at least at this point, only apply to CPRA, California Public Records Act request, where you actually do need that time versus a violation of the Brown Act for open meetings where it's pretty clear that there either was or wasn't a violation and maybe you're not going to settle out of court on that one or out of our commission jurisdiction. So briefly, there is a current complaint process. It is outlined in Alameda Municipal Code Section 2-93-2. And it's pretty simple and straightforward, just a couple of sentences. The complaint must be filed within 15 days of the alleged violation. The parties are to appear before the OGC within 30 days of the filing date of the complaint. And then the OGC hears the case and has 30 days to issue a decision after that. Now, buried within all of that in a little phrase is that subsection B allows for the parties to agree to extend the hearing date. So it's already there, but there isn't any mechanism actually for doing it and relies primarily on the parties themselves. In looking at whether we have the authority to, or not, it would appear that the OGC does have the authority to develop procedures relating to complaints as provided for in AMC section 2-22.4G. And I want to correct my report because I erroneously referred to this section as 2-93-4F probably cut and pasted the wrong section when I was uh, putting this all together. So at this point, I believe that the uh, commission could look at ways of discussing the possibility of extending this time in order to allow the parties a little bit more time to settle. I think it's important to note one thing is that uh, the violation itself doesn't occur if the city doesn't respond in 10 days to the request. It's only after the city either has responded or said there are no records that the violation actually takes place. That the city does have a reasonable amount of time to comply with a CPRA request. And only if that request, um, if the fulfillment of that request is inadequate or not at all, is there actually a violation. So there already is some built in time to begin with. But I just wanted to make that point as we went on with our discussion. So I will turn it back over to you. Thank you, Commissioner Canberra. Um, and so at this time we can go around and I'll ask each of you if you have any clarifying questions for Commissioner Canberra um, on that presentation or for staff on these issues. We can, we can ask both ways uh, to get any clarity we need here. So um, Vice Chair Chen, do you have any questions for Commissioner Canberra's staff? Not right now, the vaccine after effects are... 
muddling my brain a bit. Right it's now. real. Well, <laughs> well, after feel all, free to take a break if you need to, or let no, us know. It's all those citations. I just kind of, <laughs> sorry, can't go. <laughs> yeah. Um, Commissioner Montgomery, do you have any clarifying questions for Commissioner Camber or staff? Okay. And um, Commissioner Tilos, do you have any clarifying questions for Commissioner Camber or staff? No clarifying questions. Okay. Um, Commissioner Camber, do you have any questions for staff before uh, I turn to the couple questions that I have? Actually, no, because I would be deferring to staff on the legality of anything that we do. I am just a lonely commissioner sitting on the OGC. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> uh, Vice Chair Chen, did you have a question? Oh, yeah. I just partially woke up. Um, I Oh, I wanted to hear from staff whether it really was a problem with the PRA requests be, having a complaint invalidated or whether staff keeps working back and forth and doesn't you know pull the plug on the timepiece in other words is this really a problem Commissioner Camber, did you want to check? I just want to jump in before Chief Assistant Attorney has to answer that question, because I believe that there was a perception, and I don't know where that perception came from, that because the complainant didn't quite understand that there was additional time that they could work it back and forth, that there may be some thought that the complaint had to file the complaint within a certain 15 day period of time. And it wasn't really clear to the complaint that you no, know, as long as you keep talking, the statute actually doesn't apply. And so I think at least when I can't remember who I was talking to, but I believe that was kind of the impetus for this. And that if there was something that would allow a complaint to continue the conversation, it may not get to the OGC. That was my recollection. Those were my marching orders. Chief Assistant City Attorney, did you want to jump in on that? Um, well, I'm not, I'm not completely sure, uh, Vice Chair Chen, if I, I fully understand your question. I can say, maybe echo what Commissioner Canberra is, is mentioning, is that you know, if somebody brings a complaint under the Sunshine Ordinance, based on uh, an alleged violation of the Sunshine Ordinance, meaning the CPR and the CPRA, that complainant needs to be able to show that there's actually been a violation. So if the city is able to defend itself to say, well, um, the, the complainant has actually not been denied records, we're, we're still um, negotiating back and forth, we're still within our time frame. Um, we've provided some documents, but not all of them. I mean, there's a variety of responses that a city, the city could could make. In which case, you know, there may be some um, um, argument in that case that the um, uh, the violate alleged violation hasn't ripened, which is a term uh, in in law, meaning that there's there's not um, there's no wrong yet that's been committed. Um, but I'm not sure if that's are you speaking about one certain instance or are you speaking in general? No, I'm I'm speaking about the incident that triggered this whole. Okay. Because, because uh, you could see how I say I, I filed a public records request and the city uh, responded saying we're working on it. 
right? And then I keep waiting and then I, I bug the city some more, right? And the city says, we're working on it. So when, when does that uh, clock, you're saying ripening, like it, you, the city could just delay presenting those records for a long time, right? <laughs> and not have a violation. Well, I think it, 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 it's not a bright line answer, in, in my opinion, um, because it really depends on the circumstances. It depends what records, if we're talking about, um, you know, a series of, I'm not talking about any, a specific case here, I'm talking hypothetically, if there's a large volume of records that need to have a significant amount of redactions done, that takes a long time because there's, we don't have one dedicated attorney who handles redactions. It's, it's um, divvied among various of us, not me. I don't do them because of my um, role as, as uh, advising you all. Um, so there may be circumstances in which there's a, a, a length of time and I, I can't really answer in a, um, in a vacuum as to whether or not in a particular instance, if waiting a lot, what, what from a complainant's or potential complainant's standpoint, viewpoint is, is an unreasonable amount of time. For the city's perspective, may be very reasonable in light of um, the city's, you know, so long as the city's complied with the, the 10 day or has asked for the additional 14 days saying we have records, we're going to be producing them, but we, you know, we have other duties that we have to do and you'll get them. Um, I think it, then it comes down to whether or not that, that length of time is reasonable. So I, I know I'm not, I'm not giving you a bright line answer, but I, I just can't because it's, it's, it's really depends on the circumstances. So how would Commissioner Canberra's suggested fix, would that help? You, you mean like retooling or, or revising the, I'm looking at the clause or the relevant provision in the existing Sunshine Ordinance to to make some some change in that language to 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 allow the commission to, um, or, or what, which change are you talking about? Yeah, I, he's saying that we can actually have developed procedures that would make it a little more clear. Oh, based on the clause that the commission finds good cause for an extension of yeah. time? Yeah. Um, I believe that that would be, um, um, so that would be allowable. Commissioner Camper? Yeah. Um so I, I understand what Chief Assistant City Attorney Elizabeth is, um, McKinnis, McKinsey is saying in that if you ask for a voluminous amount of documentation, 60 days could be a reasonable time to produce it. I think maybe where the problem is and the frustration would be is that when all you hear is we're working on it. And when you hear that, is that, are you just being sandbagged and not ever gonna get it? Or at what point in time? I think from a complaint standpoint, as long as they're working on it, you are within your 15 days though. And I guess you would have the option to go ahead and file your complaint. And then, and then we have to decide. <laughs> right, and then I, then I think there would be a question that both sides would have arguments on, which is one side would say, 
there's been a violation, I haven't gotten my records. And the city's perspective most likely would be, no, we've complied with the text of the Sunshine Ordinance and the common case law that has defined a, a, a city's responsibility in those situations, which is to give a response saying, you will be getting documents and we'll produce them in due course. And it would, there would be two competing narratives and that would be something that um, um, would come into play for all of you. And that would be a situation in which, um, you know, the pivotal, the, the threshold question um, you would all be grappling with um, would be whether or not procedurally the complaint is, is allowed. Commissioner Montgomery, I see your hand up. And I may also be able to illuminate a little bit about how we got here. Go ahead, Commissioner Montgomery. You wanna go first, illuminate away. <laughs> illuminate and then I'll ask if it's still necessary. I, it very well might be. So um, uh, my recollection of how this topic came up was, was partially that um, we were faced with a complaint in December, 2021, which included uh, it was a two-part complaint. One was that the city did not respond in a timely manner. And then the second was that the city failed to produce full records. Uh, the city advocate responding argued that the full complaint was time barred because it wasn't brought within 15 days. Um, if I remember correctly, what we ultimately found was that yes, a complaint with respect to, oh, they failed to produce records was time barred because it was not brought within 15 days of that 10 day window in which the city needs to respond. But that we did decide to hear the complaint with respect to the merits of the production and whether it was a, a full production or not. Um, if I remember correctly on the basis of essentially this finding that the statute of limitations wasn't triggered until the individual actually received something in response to know whether he had gotten a full response or not. And so I'm, I'm wondering if a variation on Commissioner Canberra's question and a question that I have as well, which can go after Commissioner Montgomery asks her question, is, is, that, is our, our finding that the um, statute of limitations isn't triggered until an actual production or response of some kind is provided? That was that was what we went with. We did not have a, a statutory basis that I recall for for going in that direction. It was common sense. And so is that is that based in case law? Is that based in a statute somewhere? And or should it be somehow part of the complaint procedures? Uh, so that's that's a question that I have out there. But Commissioner Montgomery, I, I don't want to leapfrog you there because I don't know if that was similar to yours. Yeah, so that's. That was part of it. And yes, that was a very good explanation about how we got here and what the case was that brought us all this. Um, my question, is there anything that says like if the city's releasing re records that they have to release them in a lump? I mean, is releasing like 10 out of 50 to start with as they're redacting more, doing whatever to more, is that a, does that constitute a start of response? of releasing records or does it start when it's the end of the release of records and they haven't found that the records they required to be released didn't get released? 
So there's a beginning of that part where the city starts to, 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 to email records to a complainant, right? Or to a response to that person who's requesting, requesting the records. And then it could be like that could carry on for three or four months during that time. And there's, they may be still releasing records, still releasing, but four months later, after all the records had been released, correct? Then they found that they did not, or that city said they released all the records. But if that if the records that were requested were not released, then the actual thing didn't start until that point, correct? That's what we're saying. Until the point of the final release of the records from the city. It can't be it can't be from the first because it's not a complete set of records. Is that is that what we're saying? That's what we said. That's what we said, right? Um, and so is there anything in part of this that, that says the city has to release them all in one lump sum or, or uh, there's no time limit. They can just keep dribbling them down as however they come. Did, did that make sense? Rolling, rolling productions are permitted and are frequently used. That's that. I think when you the dribbling out, yes, that, that is, that is, is something that is, is definitely a technique to 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 get some documents in the hands of the um, requester. Mr. Montgomery, did you want to ask a follow up on that? I do, but yeah, in a minute. Sure. Go ahead. I'll, I'll come back to it. There's something else that's bugging me about that situation. I can't quite. Okay, and uh, I can't I quite say it yet. <laughs> I also thank you, Chief Assistant City Attorney, for for taking these um, clarifying questions regarding the topic, which I think will, um, you know, will will then move to public comment, and I think it does really inform our deliberations on on the issue. Um, Commissioner Camber, I saw your hand come up. Any questions? I think Commissioner Chen was before me. Oh. Vice Chair, sorry, Vice Chair. Vice Chair Chen, go ahead. Oh yeah, I I was just thinking about the other case that we had with the police records where the individual was asking for police, certain records from the police department. And he asked for three months, the past three months of, of certain records. And the um, police department gave them one month and said, we're done. And he said, no, 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 you know, other cities have been giving me three as a reporter, right? <laughs> and then, so after he kept pushing, they gave him another month, right? And then he was waiting for the third month. And then he filed a complaint with the Open Government Commission. And uh, the commission sustained his complaint um, because, actually, I didn't vote for it. But, you know, I just have to say the, the problem was that what we saw a pattern of uh, certain departments um, not coming up with the documents being asked for unless they are pushed. It's not like we're still looking for them, sorry. It's more like, no, we've given you one month, that's it. Even though you asked for three, you know? And so had he not filed a complaint, the third month would have never shown up. So that, that looked like a problem to me about um, how this thing operates. Oops. Is that a question to Chief City Attorney or? Sort of, I guess it's sort of a, it's a comment. It's a comment like, can we fix that? 
Well, I'm just, I, I, I want to, uh, um, I can respond to your question, Vice Chair Chen. I just, I want to make care, I want to be careful that you all are staying within the confines of, of what was agendized this evening. Um, so first off, I just want us to be mindful of the topic that, that was presented in this agenda item. And then the also this other notion of this, this agenda item does not inappropriately does not ask us to ask you to go back and kind of retry past cases. I mean, I know that there are certain issues that have come up that you were grappling with, but I think it's important that um, um, for the purposes of, of staying within the confines, I'm looking at the staff report right now to make sure that we're not going beyond that. And I think discussing the, the relative merits of past cases is, is we're getting close to going beyond what, what you all should be discussing. Um, but I think if I can pull out or tease out Vice Chair Chen this con this concept that you're getting at, which is when um, you know, I, I think it's still getting back to this idea of, of when does a when does a um, denial of records when does that when does that turn into a violation and when does the 15 days start ticking? Um, and I think it it again is unfortunately not. <laughs> it's not always going to be a clear answer. And that's why there's sometimes there are gonna be hard um, questions that you all are going to have to grapple with. Um, I mean, there could be some clear cut um, examples when perhaps a city agency, a city official says, um, you're not getting any documents. I mean, that, that, that's kind of an, an easier one to grapple with, or we have provided you all the documents and you're not getting any more. Um, that's one, or I've given you documents and I'm not going to do, um, th there's material in here that's redacted and I'm not going, to, we're not going to um, unredact it. And so I think those, those situations present an easier case, but um, the situations that you're suggesting are just, um, I think they need to be handled um, more on a case by case basis. And just to all of you to be aware of the fact that those um, if you, if there is a legitimate question as to when the clock started ticking, and importantly, if the clock was supposed to start ticking, just know that there are going to be questions, there are going to be arguments on both sides on that topic. Thank you, Chief Assistant City Attorney. That's, that's really helpful. Um, Commissioner Montgomery and Commissioner Cambry, I see both of your hands. Uh, I will go to Commissioner Montgomery first, and then we'll potentially close it out with Commissioner Cambra. Thank you, because I kind of have a question for Commissioner Canberra, and maybe maybe in his next response, it'll he can he can touch on this. We I feel like since since you read the report and we're we're here now, we've talked about a lot of things. So I just kind of trying to want to bring it back to what exactly, or as close to exactly, is it that that we're driving for that you would like to see happen because it felt like when I was reading it was a better way for us to communicate to the city and the complainant that they can meet and keep talking about it too and they both know that they have the option to extend that 30-day calendar it, um, and I feel like we're kind of off of that but isn't that what we were supposed to be talking about um yeah well again um, I wasn't advocating for any position or any decision. It was to provide background for the commission on 
what was the perceived problem or perceived concern. And I was providing the foundation to the commission. And after that was going to probably rely more. And I think to the point of why my hand is raised is chief assistant city attorney. Do you think that there might be some case law that might provide us with some guidance? Because I agree with you that on the situation is presented in December. It's a factual determination on the city's ability to comply based on the request. And it's not going to be a really easy, clear-cut answer. And maybe the only answer is, yes, you have to file a complaint and bring it to us. Um, but and so that doesn't actually answer your question, though. So let me finish that before I ask mine. So, so your question is whether or not there may be case law that um, better defines when the clock starts? Is that possibly, yeah, just by by example. And again, understanding that it's probably pretty individual and factual, but maybe there'd be some wise guidance from a couple of people with black robes to say, gee, when you're a commission, take a look at these things. There very well, uh, there may be. I'd be happy to, to um, look into that um, prior to the next time, if there is a next time that you all decide to discuss this. I, and then I did have a question then. So just hypothetically, then we get into a situation where there is a partial production. There is a complaint filed with the city or with, with our commission. And that means then that we make a decision that there was or wasn't a violation. But does that request still stay open then? And then it would give guidance to the department that, well, now the OGC has said that there's a violation. So yes, I guess we should now comply with the rest of it. Well, I think that's a case where there, there's nothing specific in the Sunshine Ordinance that says, um, that directly addresses your question, but I would, um, I, I would imagine that there's certainly nothing that says that the, the request is closed just by nature, by virtue of having closed, um, um, having filed a complaint. So I would say in the absence of anything like that, um, most likely the complaint, or I'm sorry, the request would stay open. So if, say for some example, um, a requester asked for 10 months worth of data and they got months one through five and were not satisfied with the extent of the information they got for months one through five, filed a complaint, there's an outcome of whatever event, then I would imagine that the there's nothing in the Sunshine Ordinance that says that months six through 10, it, or it would indicate that months six through 10 do need to be produced. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you, everyone. Um, I think we, we had some good, good rounds of clarification there and I wanna stay mindful of our need to open it to public comment uh, before we shift into uh, deliberative mode. Um, so Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers who would like to give public comment on agenda item 4C? We do, Jay Garfinkel. Okay, welcome Speaker you Garfinkel, know, you have three minutes. Um, I don't know if you were discussing my case, <clears throat> but uh, the Public Records Act 1 uh, resulted in my being sent to OGC purgatory uh, because of the uh, two, two unfounded uh, 
situations. Anyway, I was told when I made my request that it would, within 10 days, I was told that it would probably take about six weeks. And that was all right. So I asked the uh, paralegal, how will I know when the process is over and if it goes, and I haven't, how will I know when it's time to file a complaint if I haven't gotten everything? And she said, well, you'll have to decide that on your, on your own. So my suggestion here is that if the, the documents are not gonna be forthcoming, you know, within a few weeks, that uh, a time set, uh, a time be set up and the complainant be told, at, if you haven't received the records at such and such date, you can file a complaint. I think that would take care of some of that. Um, uh, the commission was told that I had been provided with, I don't know, like a thousand documents, which was patently absurd because most of those thousand documents were second parts in threads. Or in other words, you re re they redacted something, but then they were, went and redacted in every time that came up in a thread. So there weren't a thousand. So I think you have to give some guidance to the city attorney's office to say that each time there's a thread, it might have 15 elements to it. It's that, it's that final one that they're looking at. The others they've already addressed. So I think that uh, needs to be, um, uh, to be cleaned up. I would also discourage people from discussing their complaint with one of the city attorneys. I did that once and the junior assistant city attorney who called me uh, convinced me that, well, maybe I should, I would be wasting my time because this was right before the election in 2020. I went along with it. Then I realized that his argument was absurd. I asked to reinstate it and it was the typical attorney gotcha. Oh no, I'm sorry. We don't have any provision for allowing you to reinstate the complaint. So I would discourage people from uh, from uh, talking to the city attorney, or they should be warned that, uh, yeah, talk, but don't make a decision based on what they tell you. So anyway, thank you. Thank you, Speaker Garfinkel. Um, we can now turn on this item to our commissioner deliberations and. Um, you know, I would say action, but since this was framed as a, a discussion on the agenda item, I think it's also totally appropriate if we, you know, engage in some preliminary kind of deliberations and discussion and potentially bring the agenda item back at a future meeting if there's, um, you know, action to take there that we're not determining now, um, if there's any sort of specific recommendations we need to chase down. Um, but I will open it up to the group here. Would anyone like to begin a discussion item or... Obviously, if there's a motion to be had, I would, I would love to hear it. Commissioner Canberra, I see you come off mute. Yeah, I was trying to Anyway, I would, uh, with my earlier suggestion about maybe looking to see if there was any guidance from the case law at all, um, I know I don't feel comfortable enough going forward without knowing maybe that there's a skeleton in the closet someplace or a nice seed that is sprouted somewhere that would give us some guidance on this since we have a, a number of views on it. So that's my suggestion at this point. Although I do like the estimate of time that um, we heard in public comment for at least providing some kind of guidance. So, uh, but that would be my suggestion. 
Okay, thank you, Commissioner Cameron. I think, you know, staying within the bounds of, of what we're able to really control and make recommendations on, I think a, an estimate of time being provided by the city attorney's office, that's probably more a matter of like internal protocols. And um, I don't know that we could dictate anything like that, but we could certainly as part of any sort of package around this, perhaps I would imagine create a, a suggestion that that's particularly helpful in reducing unnecessary complaints is, is what I think we're all trying to get down to here. Um, does anyone else have any uh, items around this for discussion? And I just have a couple comments to make if not. Okay, I'm seeing no hands up. Um, I, I wanted to just quickly note that Commissioner Camber, I, I thought you had some, uh, some good sort of initial suggestions around uh, just the general spirit of, of reminders and information that we could potentially provide to people about opportunities to, uh, you know, extend the hearing if they need more time to, to prepare their evidence or, um, you know, even just additional encouragements of that there is this opportunity to resolve disputes informally. And so um, one path that I could see forward would be um, you know, potentially either an individual commissioner or a subcommittee working with the city attorney's office, um, you know, on guidance on things like case law, but, uh, you know, potentially going through our complaint procedure, which we do have control over, as you aptly noted, <laughs> breaking that apart, I appreciated that, um, to perhaps identify where we might have specific sections that we could include additional language just to sort of flag for complainants all the paths they have. Um, and that, uh, without assigning anything to anyone, if, if that were something where um, anyone wanted a thought partner in that as my work drafting the complaint procedure, I'd be happy to help. Um, Commissioner Camber, I think you had some great initial ideas. Um, if anyone else is interested in that, that's something we can either let sit for a future meeting or um, you know, determine tonight that, that somebody may carry forward from meeting to meeting. And seeing no hands raised or comment, I think we will go in the direction of letting it sit, pending uh, another commissioner initiating uh, an agenda request to, to bring it back in, in some form. Commissioner Camber. Thank you. I can't get to the button fast enough sometimes. Anyway, um, if would it be um, acceptable to continue this item and then allow the chief assistant city attorney to do her research and maybe come back to us and then engage in that conversation? Uh, Madam Clerk, that, that sounds appropriate to me. Is, is that an option for us to, uh, you know, maybe make a motion to carry this item over to a, a future meeting pending sort of whatever timeline the Chief Assistant City Attorney has for determining if there is guidance we should be considering there? Yeah, let me just um, clarify. So uh, if you want to actually continue this item, like, you know, with the amount of time left, public comment closed, and and um, specifically, uh, you know, have it be just picking up right where you left off, you need to continue it to a specific meeting date and time. Um, if you just want to provide direction that we bring it back on the next agenda, that can be done. And then you would reopen the discussion and, um, you know, start you know, with the additional information and have it come back as another agenda item. So it's up to you which um, kind of continuation idea you're thinking of. That's very helpful. Thank you. Um, 
pending whatever um, chief assistant city attorney who has, who has kindly offered to look into this um, has to say, and Commissioner Cambrai, I know it's your item. Um, I, I would probably be inclined to just having it come back at a future date rather than pinning it to a specific deadline so that um, our chief assistant city attorney can fold it into her workload wherever feels most appropriate. Yeah, I would concur, especially if we didn't have anything except that item in an OGC meeting. Not that I don't enjoy being with you all on a Monday night, but maybe we could stack a few items up to take care of at the same time. So I would be um, very supportive of that and be happy to make that motion if we need to make a motion. I just need to get the exact language from our city clerk. I, I, if I might, uh, Chair Lovato, um, I don't think you need a motion. We staff can take that direction and, and we can return back at a later time. You are welcome to do it though, if you would like to do it by motion, but I think we've heard you and can come back. And Chief Assistant City Attorney, does that does that seem reasonable? Is that uh, <laughs> we always yes. want to be clear we're doing, you know, giving direction in a appropriate boundaries. So okay, great. Yes. Then um we will we will stay tuned on this issue until uh, another meeting at which there are already other agenda items when the Chief Assistant City Attorney has has completed some additional research into that. Um all right, thank you, everyone. Um does anybody have any final commentary on this item or can we close it out? All right, looks good, thank you. Um, so thank you, Commissioner Canberra for, for bringing that forward and uh, identifying what the, what the possible paths were for us there. So I think at this time we are on to item five, the staff update. So I'll open it up to the Chief Assistant City Attorney and City Clerk to see if they have any updates for us today. I have nothing. I have no updates. Other than a fantastic training. Um, Thank you, everyone. Then we can go to section six, commission agenda requests. Um, this is where we consider our commissioner initiated agenda requests. And tonight we have item 6A titled, uh, consider agendizing the unfounded determination brought forward by Commissioner Canberra. Uh, commissioner Canberra, would you like to present to us on this issue? You would have five minutes for the presentation under this item. Okay, actually, thank you very much. And um, I actually don't need to take that much time because this actually is a situation where we would be considering agendizing this for the next time. So this has to do with the unfounded uh, section in any of the decisions that we make. And it took me a while. I wasn't aware when I was on the OGC for the first time, and I was there, um, that there was a five-year prohibition. And it wasn't until I was onboarding for this term that I looked at it and said five years. So I'm not sure exactly how five years was determined way back in 2012 when this was first done, but I did go back through and look at the legislative history and it did not appear that in any of the amendments or any of the discussions that the five year prohibition has actually ever been discussed. So I think it, um, from my perspective, I believe that five years is to a certain extent arbitrary. I do believe it is excessive when you are talking about open government commission and open government generally and transparency, and that it would have a chilling effect on residents looking at how we run our government and if there are violations. And then secondarily, and perhaps maybe primarily, is that are people that are filing complaints aware 
at the time that they filed that complaint that if they go down this path and it's unfounded, that they may be barred for five years. And I know we can all say that, oh, it's in the ordinance and ignorance is no excuse and you're supposed to look up the law. Well, it's in the Alameda Municipal Code. I won't need to say any more than that. So at the very least, would it be appropriate to have warnings of the penalty ahead of time so that people were aware of that? So there's actually, we don't have any jurisdiction to change five years. Uh, but at the end of this year, we're going to be preparing another annual report, and perhaps that might be something that we would put in that report uh, to the council. So that actually is the short version, and after that, and I have chatted briefly with the Chief Assistant City Attorney on the unfounded, and I was not looking to have a very strict set of requirements you must check off three boxes, but to have the discussion about what kinds of considerations the commission might be looking at in order to inflict this type of penalty. And that pretty much is it. Thank you, Commissioner Canberra. Um, a, a great concise presentation. Uh, Madam Clerk, I saw your hand come up there. I just wanted to um, let Commissioner Camber know that in the actual complaint procedures, it is spelled out um, that that section is um, highlighted and it does explain that if two complaints are filed in a 12 month, 12 month period, it says right there in the in the actual um, procedure, which is definitely provided to anybody once they file a complaint. And, um, I, you know, I think that I think definitely if they're in the instance of getting to the place where they, you know, could be, um, you know, they have one unbounded and they're filing a second one. Um, we could also include that in the, you know, all the notices to them and remind them. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Um, so it's already sparking good ideas. Uh, at this time we could do clarifying questions. And I think we're probably gonna stay pretty limited to what do we need to know to take a vote on whether we're going to agendize this for a future meeting, just rather than getting into the deep, deep substance on it. Um, uh, Vice Chair Chan, I see your hand up. Oh, well, it's this is probably off, off. <laughs> but the idea that uh, the city, uh, Madam City of Clerks said to make it clear with the second complaint that you're filing that, you know, two strikes and you're out for five years would be a clear cut definition of unfounded you know, what would constitute a case to be unfounded? And that's, it's a circular discussion, but anyway, yeah. I mean, if people knew what unfounded meant to, to us, um, they could look at their complaint and see, wow, you know, I, I'm, maybe I shouldn't do this, or uh, I'm pretty clear that this will be, you know, sustained or whatever, you know. Uh, Vice Chair, did you have a, a question for Commissioner Camber or staff? Um, clarifying questions here? No, I was just asking if a definite, well, I think we were going to define unfounded at some point, right? Are we nodding here? Yes. It is also <laughs> defined in the procedure. And even in that definition, it also reiterates that it if two are found within a 12-month period. So right. do you want me to read you the definition? Would that be helpful? Yes, that would help. Okay. Complaint rejected with the commission additionally finding that the complaint lacks a reasonable 
or rational basis, if two complaints are determined to be unfounded within a 12-month period, the complaint is complainant is prohibited from filing another complaint for five years. So that's in the glossary at the very end of the um, complaint procedure. Right. Yeah, I ju I'm just not sure that's enough for a regular person to know what would be unfounded. Reasonable. Un what is unreasonable? <laughs> Let's revisit this during our deliberations. Right. Okay. After Sorry. we've taken public comment, does anyone have clarifying questions for Commissioner Canberra um, or staff, sort of, of what we would need to know to inform our deliberations on whether we're going to agendize this in the future? All right. I'm seeing head shaking there. Um, then I think we need to turn to public comment. Madam Clerk, do we have any speakers who would like to give public comment on agenda item 6A? We do. Jay Garfinkel. All right, welcome, Speaker Garfinkel. Yeah, uh, you know, I may be the only person who's ever been on the sharp end of this uh, particular stick. Um, unfounded, you know, if the district, if the court system followed your procedures, if a district attorney brought a charge and the jury decided that the person was clearly innocent, absolutely innocent, no question, could they find the district attorney, the complaint to be unfounded, in which case the district attorney would no longer be able to bring a case if that happened twice uh, in a short period of time. I, you know, unfounded, unreasonable, baseless. The, the complaints that I filed were reasonable. You disagreed as to whether it deserved action, but the complaints were not unfounded. Trust me, I mean, I go over those instances very carefully, and I have a considerable amount of experience in analyzing these kinds of problems. So I would suggest that you do away with unfounded. I mean, it would have to be a completely absurd complaint for you to call it unfounded. But just because an attorney is able to, to put up an argument defending whatever the council has done, that's not basis for unfounded. And I think all the discussions you've had tonight on all these topics is, a, is perfect uh, evidence for the need for review of the Sunshine Ordinance, getting the public involved and coming up with solutions that the public, that the public can go along with. Uh, I knew that there was the possibility of, of unfounded, but I didn't believe that my complaints uh, were, were specious or, or absurd or unreasonable. So, and, and at that time, you could either say founded or unfounded. You had no other choice. So I think you need to have options other than just unfounded. And unfounded, I think, is a totally inappropriate term for well-intentioned citizens who are trying to enhance the openness of government. Thank you. Thank you, Speaker Garfinkel. Um, next, we can turn to our commissioner deliberations and action. Unless, Madam Clerk, do we have any other public comment? We do not. Okay. Um, and I think just as a reminder, in a, section six, you know, we're not going to engage in substantive discussion. Um, definitely not going to re-adjudicate any past items. Um, and really, the action item for us to consider is, you know, to decide whether to agendize you know, all are part of this uh, for discussion in a, the regular agenda items at a future meeting. Uh, we can start with any motions or discussion. 
Uh, who would like to go first? Commissioner Camber. Yeah, well, so I'm not gonna use the best, I guess. The way I looked at this is that when we, if we're gonna be doing unfounded, I look at this as a two part um, decision that the Open Government Commission would make, that you would take a look at the complaint itself. And if it did not have merits or whatever reason it was gonna be dismissed, then you would say, all right, we are not gonna sustain this complaint. But if through the course of the interaction between the city and the complaint, if there were, I'm gonna use the word inappropriate behavior or harassing behavior or, um, failure to look at case law that was provided to say that your complaint has no merits whatsoever and that's presented and the complaint decides to go forward anyway, um, is then that the, the, uh, a basis for saying, okay, it is unfounded. I think when this was originally being put in way back in the day, there was a concern that the complaint process would be used to delay legislative action. And whether that was a theater going up and open government commission, whether they had bases or not, it was a way of slowing things down. So I don't think there wasn't a basis for having unfounded. I just think we need to be careful about when it's being used and to make sure that a complainant knows what has an idea at least of what we're thinking is unreasonable enough to justify an unfounded determination in addition to dismissing the complaint. Thank you, Commissioner Canberra. Uh, Vice Chair Chen, I see your hand up. I think you're on mute still. I, I move that we uh, agendize it in, a, uh, in the next meeting or the next available meeting, this discussion. I think you wanted to not have the discussion now, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do we, actually, can I make a, a friendly amendment to that motion sure. first, which would just be uh, that we agendize it at the, the next meeting at which there's other scheduled business? Yes. Okay. Uh, with that, do you accept that friendly amendment, Vice Chair Chen? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. With that, do we have a second to the motion? I will second. Okay, Commissioner Camber seconding. Um, Madam Clerk, could you take a roll call vote? Commissioner Chen, I mean, Canberra. Oh, two C's. Chen. Yes. Montgomery. Aye. Tilos. Aye. Uh, Chair Lopolato. Aye. That carries by five eyes. Okay, excellent. Um, thank you for bringing that forward, Commissioner Cambray, and also for your flexibility on, on the scope of how we go about it. I think that's going to be a, a fruitful discussion. Um, next, we would be at item seven, commission communications. Uh, do any commissioners have anything they'd like to share as part of our commission communications at this time? I will look around, seeing no hands raised. We will... Uh, Let's see, I guess we would have another section of non-agenda public comment, but I know we addressed that earlier, so we shouldn't have any additional public speakers um, since we didn't go over our 15 minute mark. Um, Madam Clerk, do I have that correct? Yeah, I think that is correct that 
and and I think if somebody's already spoken once, they don't get a second opportunity to speak because they've already addressed in a public. So they're it's a moot point anyway because there's only one person here. And he already spoke. Okay. <laughs> that would be my understanding as well. Thank you. Well, with that, uh, I think we can move to adjourning the meeting. So thank you, everyone, and um, we will. Be here, same time, same place, at a month to be determined, uh, depending when there's business on the agenda. <laughs> Thank you all. Thanks, everybody. Bye.